Rick Jensen. On 1150 AM, 101.7 FM, WDEL. Producer Rennie, before we get to Dr. Dries, what was the text message we had regarding Dr. Carol Rattay, who's uh, in charge of Department of Public Health here in Delaware, and a number of people in the hospital, vaccinated or unvaccinated? All right, here it is. Yeah. Uh, Rick, that 91% number from Rattay was for vaccinated cases, not unvaccinated. That is why she was pushing the masks so hard. 91% of the patients that day in Delaware hospitals were uh, with COVID were vaccinated. Okay. I was shocked she reported it. Prior to that, they were still using numbers that included unboosted people with the unvaccinated number. Okay, that is not accurate. That is not what she said. I have it right here from uh, news department. Uh, she said, of those who are fully vaccinated and end up in the hospital, 91% have had have not had a booster shot. So if the numbers are the same here in Delaware as they are around the country, wherein 90% of the people in the hospital are unvaccinated, that means that 91% of the 10% have not had a booster. of the people in the hospitals around the country are vaccinated. Of that 10% in Delaware, 91% have not had a booster. It's a big difference. I want to clear up a lot of things here with uh, the infection prevention officer and hospital epidemiologist, Dr. Marcy Dries. She's on the phone right now to talk about a lot of these different things. Uh, Doctor, thanks for being on. Thanks for having me back. No, I really appreciate that. It's okay if I call you Marcy? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Unless, you know, I don't know, you have a, a more popular middle name you'd prefer I use? I don't know. No, <laughs> no, that's fine. Yeah. So, um, look, right here, you know, talk radio, the Jensen Show, um, especially in Delaware, this is the front lines, ground zero for all these debates regarding the vaccinations and uh, whether they work or not. My take is, yeah, they work. I remember talking to a virologist at Duke University, um, epidemiologists uh, around the country, not you, but others around the country in 2020. And their take on a vaccine was, if we're lucky, it'll be a prophylactic against the virus. If it's like other vaccines, then it'll do a lot of good in keeping people from dying or perhaps even going to the hospital. And that's the way it's working out right now. And... So when people say it doesn't work, I reply, actually, it does. I know people who've gotten COVID, the Omicron variant, they're fully vaxxed, they got boosted, and they're older, they're over 65. Some of them have some serious health problems. They didn't go to the hospital, they didn't die. To me, that's working. Um, what's your take? Exactly. Okay, mm-hmm. so, so you agree no, with I, that. I think that? I think that's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, very few vaccines provide what is called sterilizing immunity, which you know prevents any infections at all. You know, we really want, uh, the vaccines to work to keep people from getting severely ill with whatever disease we're trying to prevent. Okay, so let's get some, let's get to some of these numbers here because we uh, we cleared up what Dr. Rote did say. Uh, the vast majority of the people who are in the hospital are indeed unvaccinated, but of that smaller number who are in the hospital and are vaccinated, about ninety one percent of them did not get the booster. At Christiana Care, where you work. About what percentage of people who are in the hospital 
with COVID. They're there for COVID. They're not, they're not there for something else, and they happen to have COVID. But people who are in the hospital for COVID, what percentage of those people are vaccinated? So that's actually a harder number to uh, to to calculate than you might think. You know, a lot of times we do ask every person who's or almost every person who's admitted whether they've been vaccinated. We're actually just now in the process of also asking about booster doses, but we have to make that change in our um, IT system. Um, and not everyone can tell us, right, because they're, they're in a state where they really can't provide much history. We also have access to the Delaware Immunization um, Registry, so we can look there as well. But not everyone got vaccinated in Delaware, so um, or it hasn't been updated um, since they got their vaccine. So it's actually a little bit difficult to get to an exact number. But we estimate kind of between, you know, 70 and 80 percent of all people being uh, admitted with COVID are uh, either unvaccinated or only got one dose. Um, and like, and, you know, overall, again, the vast majority of people that, that have been vaccinated have not been boosted. Okay. Um, so I think, you know, the state does, the state does look at every hospitalization and tries to track their um, immunization status. So what Dr. Rate, the information that she shared is really the most accurate. Um, yeah, 70 course. to 80% one shot and that's it. Um, do, do you have any guesstimate? Or, or, none, or, none, at, or none at all. Or none at Either, all. Most are un, unvaccinated. Yes. And most of those are unvaccinated? Yes. Um, do you have any estimate then how many are in the hospital that um, have had two vaccines, you know, two shots of the mRNA and uh, and the booster? Well, I would, like I said, I would say that, you know, it's a very, very small percentage, you know, like 10% of the 10%, you know, like Dr. Rate said. But right now we don't have a process in place to differentiate fully vaccinated from fully vaccinated and boosted. But we're working on that. Help us understand this irony that Omicron is less severe, yet there are now a record number of people in the hospitals over the last couple of months. Well, the difference is whether you're looking at the population level or the individual level. So when you look at the population overall, yes, there is evidence that overall Omicron may be somewhat milder, maybe 20 to 30 percent less likely to cause hospitalization or death. But that is more than overcome by the fact that Omicron is so much more contagious. So including among people who've had COVID before or who have been vaccinated but not boosted. So, you know, if you're seeing 10 times as many cases, but you have a small decrease in severity, it still means you can have a lot of people who end up in a hospital. Um, so certainly for our hospitalized patients that have COVID, there's nothing mild about Omicron. Um, so for an individual person, you really can't count on the fact that your case of Omicron will be mild, um, particularly if you're not up to date on your vaccinations. Well, I have friends and know people who have gotten Omicron. They've been vaxxed. They've been boosted. They're at home. They're uncomfortable. They've got fatigue. Uh, maybe one day of, uh, you know, coughing and, and such, and they seem to be generally okay. To me, anecdotally, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that makes me glad I'm vaxxed and boosted when I hear these stories anecdotally. Yep, absolutely. So something else I want to ask you, too, as, as I've been reading a lot of this uh, over the last couple of years, first of all, is it true that, historically, viruses have mutated to the point of minimal herd infection and or severity of infection? Well, viruses really only survive to propagate themselves. You know, so if they're so severe that they kill their host before that host has a chance to spread it to others, you know, that virus doesn't, doesn't survive. 
So one reason that COVID-19 has been so successful from the virus's point of view um, has been its ability to transmit when people are only mildly symptomatic or even asymptomatic. So that's what we've seen with Omicron, that it's, you know, compared to prior variants, it's been more contagious, but overall somewhat milder. Um, However, like I said, because a lot of people are still susceptible to getting COVID, you know, milder on the population level still means a lot of people in the hospital um, and and a lot still dying from Omicron. Um, So, you know, really the best way to get to improve that herd immunity is to, you know, get vaccinated um, and get boosted, even if you've already had COVID. So you belong to a lot of associations, professional associations, uh, fellowships such as that uh, when it comes to epidemiology. And I'm wondering if uh, virologists and or epidemiologists believe that uh, COVID is it, it, not just Omicron, but COVID itself is weakening um, as it mutates more and more. Well, you know, we're still seeing a record number, record high number of cases and hospitalizations. So I don't think most people are quite ready to call this the end of the COVID pandemic. Um But I think, you know, I and many others believe that at some point, you know, COVID will become endemic, meaning it just circulates continuously in the population and the majority of people have some immunity uh, from vaccination as well as from regular exposure to the virus. Um, But in order to get there, you know, we have to prevent the next variant from emerging, you know, that could be more contagious, more or less severe, more resistant to existing immunity than even Omicron is. So, um, so know, what, what's, what, what should be, what should be, you know, as, as a layperson who doesn't study this deeply like you do, what should be my takeaway when I see these stories in, uh, you know, major national publications suggesting that uh, Omicron signals to the relative demise of COVID? Well, I mean, I think we're, we're all hoping that that's the case, right? Because it's, it's just because it's so contagious. So many people have gotten it um, that, you know, once it kind of burns through this, you know, the people that are susceptible now, like there won't be that much, mo- that many more to, to go. I don't, I don't think it, we're quite ready to say, you know, for sure that this is the end, you know, cause people were saying that about Delta too. Right. Um, and so, you know, I think we're still very concerned that, you know, all it takes is one like highly immunocompromised person who can't clear the virus to develop new, new mutations and new resistance and it can take off again. So, um, you know, so I, I hesitate to, to, you know, predict that this will be the end because, you know, COVID has been very unpredictable so far. But I think, you know, we're certainly all hoping that this is the beginning of the end. No, I, no, I appreciate I appreciate the fact that we have these conversations. And when you and I get together and talk on the air, it is like a conversation, not just, you know, a Q&A, such like that. By the way, it's uh, Dr. Marcy Dries. She is the chief epidemiologist at Christiana Care. Speaking of um, Christiana Care and other hospitals, is the new guidance for healthcare workers to return to work five days after infection, even while they have not yet tested negative, being implemented at Christiana Care? So at Christiana Care, we are still doing testing at five days um, with antigen tests and then only allowing those people that are testing negative to come back to work. Um, but, the, you know, the CDC has specific guidance for healthcare workers that is somewhat different than for the general public. And because of the need to balance, you know, the desire to keep people out of work during the period that they're most contagious. Mm-hmm. But still, you know, we have to be able to maintain the healthcare workforce to take care of patients both with COVID and with everything else that people still continue to get sick from. So well, sure. it is a balancing act. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, of course, you know, and, and some institutions are, are letting people come back at five days without testing. 
um, and that's also an acceptable strategy. Um, knowing that you know we do universal masking in healthcare, so people are masked all the time, not just when they're seeing patients, um, and that should minimize spread even after those five days if someone is still contagious. But we know that the major, you know, the majority of time that people are contagious is in that first five days that they're symptomatic. So I'm I'm wondering uh, what is the science behind this, or is it really just look? It's a gamble because there's a shortage of such workers. Well, I think, you know, it is, you have to balance risk and benefit always. But, um, you know, we do know that, again, the majority of the time that people are still contagious is in that first five days. Um, So their viral load should be coming down. Now, it may not be down to the level where they can't transmit to others after five days. And it's probably, it is highly variable among different people. Um, We know that people who are fully vaccinated uh, shed virus uh, for less amount of time. And we are like 98% vaccinated um, at Christiana Care, so that helps. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's always, you know, we, we want to mitigate, mitigate risk as much as possible, but, you know, we can't always eliminate risk entirely. No, right, because at Christiana Care, you, uh, well, except for the, I guess, what, 2% who have uh, religious or other medical reasons, um, you require vaccinations. So confirm or, or deny whether what I'm about to say is, is true. As I understand from what I've been reading uh, from the CDC and elsewhere, if you're fully vaccinated boosted and you get COVID, you can be contagious, transmissible for five days. If you're unvaccinated, you can actually infect other people for 10 to 15 days. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it varies a little bit on the individual level, but we know, like I said, we know that people who are fully vaccinated and boosted shed uh, for a shorter period of time than people who are unvaccinated. So I think on average, those numbers that you just quoted are correct. Uh, I have a question from a listener. I'm told that if I wear my N95 mask or KN95 mask, then put it in a paper bag for 48 hours, I can wear it again. Is this true? What about a Ziploc bag with a paper towel? Well, you know, surgical masks, N95s, KN95s, they're all intended to be disposable, um, right? So, but early on in the pandemic, there were such shortages of all these PPE items that we learned how to reuse wear them for extended use and store them um, because there just wasn't going to be enough to use them, you know, one time only. So, you know, these shortages are not as severe as they were before, but certainly I can understand, you know, people who are paying for these items out of pocket, you know, are not going to want to just throw them away after wearing them one time. So the main concern has been, um, you know, the outer surface of the mask can be contaminated. So if you're taking it off and then reusing it, you could contaminate yourself and get infected. Um, and so the idea is that if you can rotate between different ones, so you're not wearing the same one day in, day out, that, that, that then the, whatever COVID virus might exist on the outside of that mask doesn't survive uh, for more than 24 to 48 hours in the environment. Um, so then they'll be, you know, clean again to, to wear. So, okay, so there, you know, there, is, think, science, there yeah. is science supporting that uh, use of a paper bag or a paper towel to Ziploc or something. Yeah, I think it's just important, you know, obviously the most important thing is to wear, just to wear a mask that, mm-hmm. you know, fits well, covers both your nose and your mouth, has, is either a medical mask or is a multi-layer mask. Um, you know, that's the most important thing. Um, I and, and I think, you know, we've learned that, that, you know, environmental surfaces probably aren't a major route of spread of COVID. You know, it was a, a big concern early on, but but as we've learned more since the beginning, I think it's really more about kind of close contact with with people and through respiratory droplets and and aerosols. Marcy Dries, medical doctor and hospital epidemiologist at Christiana Care. Uh, Call from Mike, uh, 302-529-1017. Mike, uh, what's your question for Dr. Dries? 
Uh, yes, uh, Dr. Dries. Um, according to the CDC website today, um, 60 to 70 percent of all deaths are people that are over age 65. So what percentage of those people who died are fully vaccinated and boosted? So um, I'm not familiar with that study since it just came out today. Um, but I would say, oh, you know, it's, it's a long running statistic. It's, it's nothing new. You can look at right. the 2021 data. Okay. And it's nothing new for 2022. It's the same approximate average. The, 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 gotcha. the relevant question is what percentage of those people uh, who have died are fully vaccinated and boosted? Okay. Dr. Dries? So I think that, I mean, we know that uh, risk of severe disease and death go- increases with age. Um, and we know that our vaccination rate is highest among the oldest population. So that is a, actually a very highly vaccinated population. Um, Boosters are relatively recent, so I can't tell you what percentage are vaccinated and boosted. Um, but, you know, for everything that I've seen has, has said that the majority of deaths, you know, in, in all age groups, including this one, are in unvaccinated or partially vaccinated people. No, I understand. Story, yeah. And when people hear this, they say, oh, well, vaccines don't work. I mean, that, that is a reaction to people. No, I mean, that, yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I mean, I think, you know, but I think, you know, when you look again, when you look at the percentage of deaths, um, and so hospitalizations, again, the majority are unvaccinated or partially vaccinated. So they are, they are working. They're keeping all the other people in that age group out of the hospital. Understood. Uh, anything else you want folks to know? So, I mean, I think, you know, again, it's, you know, we, it's time really to, you know, continue to double down, triple down, and do all the things that we uh, need to do. You know, even though there's this idea that, like you said, Omicron is milder, you know, we don't really want to take the risk of getting Omicron because you don't know if you're going to be the person who has the mild case or the more severe case or the long COVID symptoms. So, you know, if you haven't already, you know, get vaccinated, get boosted um, and certainly continue to mask and, and prevent. We want to prevent all, all cases of COVID that we can. Oh, yeah. And, and I just thought of another question because you are a professional epidemiologist. I mean, this is what you do. You, you follow and study uh, epidemics. And uh, with that in, in mind, there is uh, this belief, and I, I think I'm one of these people who holds this belief, that at some point we're all going to probably get this, kind of like the flu or something like that. What do you think as an epidemiologist? Well, you know, we know that there are other human coronaviruses that circulate every year that cause, you know, common colds. And, you know, and we would love to get to that place where that's all that this, this coronavirus is. Um, but I still think we have a ways to go before that. And, you know, you mentioned the flu, um, you know, lots of people die from flu every year, too. So an know, average of 48,000 or so. <laughs> yeah. But, but I mean, I don't right. mean I didn't mean like the effect is going to be like that. But I, what I mean is that, that that most of us in America will sometime catch COVID. Um, well, you know, I think that we want we want as many people to be immune as possible. So whether that's because of vaccination or because of prior infection, ideally both. We know yeah. that that provides the strongest protection. You know, I think we will ultimately get there, but I wouldn't want to rely, you know, only on on the infection kind of burning through the population to get to that point. Okay, I appreciate it. Uh, Dr. Marcy Dries. Okay, producer of, Randy has has a, a question. Producer yeah. Randy, it's a question that someone begged me to ask off the air. Okay, okay, and they want me to ask. Okay, do hospitals receive extra money for COVID cases if they say it's a COVID case? So yeah, I mean that there's a, a kernel of truth in there, and I've heard the same thing. You know, around you know if it's listed as the cause of death, like do you get paid more? 
And whether you list whatever you list on the, the death certificate has nothing to do with reimbursement. So I want to kind of put that myth aside. Um, Medicare does pay a little bit more. It's like 20 percent more with a COVID diagnosis. Um, but that's because that people with COVID tend to have more complicated lengths of stay, you know, longer lengths of stay or more complications compared to someone who doesn't have COVID. So it's really just meant to compensate for that. So that 20 percent um, payment that's true of any other disease, too. Is that 20 percent uh, people with COVID or they died of COVID? No, it has nothing to do with deaths. It's just based on diagnosis codes. And that's how Medicare pays hospitals. It's not based on you know, the specific interventions that an individual patient receives while they're in the hospital or even how many days they stay in the hospital. You know, basically they average out, you know, someone with a heart attack on average stays this amount of time and you get this amount of money, whether the person stays two days or Okay, so it has to do with the, the fact that people... So the same thing with COVID. It has to do with the fact that the people who have COVID uh, are in the hospital um, either longer or it's just much more expensive to care for them, and that's why Medicare pays 20% more. Yeah, it's more... Gotcha. It's, yeah, it's more complicated to pay for them. Yeah, so that's it just it's meant to kind of compensate hospitals for that extra cost. Dr. Marcy Dries, thank you for the direct answers to the tough questions. Uh, Dr. Marcy Dries, chief epidemiologist at Christiana Care. Thank you.